Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. So that brings us to step six, uh, restructuring my life to rely on God's grace and His Word to transform my life. Uh, Now this step is probably what you were hoping for uh, when you came to this seminar. Uh, This is where we talk about strategies and techniques. Um, At the same time, you probably knew sobriety was more than techniques. Uh, And too often what we do is we approach techniques as if they are our Savior. And because techniques can never be our Savior, and they fall short, we get upset with them. Actually, when we rely on techniques as our Savior, we have a word for that. It's called cliches. It's those things that seem trite. It's those things that we really get upset when people say them to us, as if that was what was going to make the difference. It doesn't mean they're not wise. It doesn't mean they're not good. It doesn't mean they don't have their place. It just means that if we haven't taken the steps that we've delineated up until now, these techniques are not going to hold the weight. But when we've admitted the problem and acknowledged the breadth of it, we see the history and the motive. We've brought that before God. We've invited other people to be a part of our life. And now, these strategies are much more about reinforcing the lifestyle that we're creating and creating a life that is less and less hospitable to addiction, then they can really do the good things that people advocate for when they tell us they're a good idea. And so, a few principles before we get into them. One, uh, the things that you'll see here are rooted in the idea that change is not as complicated as dysfunction. And that's often why we dismiss change. If we've got financial problems, we like a pyramid scheme a whole lot more than we like a budget. If we need to lose weight, we like a fad diet much more than just uh, consuming less calories than you burn. Uh, We think that complexity honors our brokenness when really it just distracts us. Uh, A second assumption here is that you have more influence over your addictive experience than anyone else. No one is more influential in life than you are because nobody talks to you more than you do. Um, Third part, whatever we devise has to be acceptable. I mean, it's something you choose. Accessible, it needs to fit your life. And effective, it needs to be well-suited for your struggle. Those are the criteria that I would invite you to use as you select whichever pieces of this uh, you're going to implement. And so the first area of strategies, and we'll look at five different areas, are stimulus control strategies. Uh, They're they're avoidance techniques. The longer we struggle with addiction, the more things in our life become associated with addiction. Activities, location, times of day, people, those are just a few of the things that that begin to be associated uh, with our addiction. 
And there are times when we are going to have to actively resist addiction. But more often than not, the best way to be strong is by avoiding temptation. And that's what we're after. And so when it comes to relationships, uh, my suggestion here, assume that no one is neutral. And go through the relationships in your life, uh, and on a 1 to 10 positive scale and 1 to 10 negative scale, just begin to go through and say, who are who are those relationships that they reinforce recovery? And who are those relationships that don't? And let's be honest about that. Uh, Kent Dunnigan, uh, the overwhelming majority of addicts testify to the power of friendship as the single most important factor in their recoveries from addiction. Uh, I write step work material, and I will tell you hands down, Groups are more effective than steps. You can take the best steps, and I'm not saying these are the best steps, but you can take the best steps without a context of support. Uh, And it is not nearly as good as weaker steps with better support. So another part of just looking at where can I remove as much temptation as possible... Look at your rhythms and routines, your routes. Addictions make themselves at home in the rhythms of your life. Addictions are things that we do before and after certain activities. Addictions are things we do on the way to places. And it is this sense of rhythm, this sense of routine, this sense of habit that seems so well established that we no longer even feel like we're doing them. Again, that's where the, the idea of disease, that this is just something that happened to me, it, it kind of fits the experience. Um, household. Uh, our home should be places of rest and refuge. Uh, but oftentimes, our homes become the places where uh, our addiction is most hidden. Uh, and we are most vulnerable. And so here... Uh, What we ask is for you to go through and not just radically remove any access to your addictive substance, but to radically disclose. Where would you hide things? How would you make them unknown? And you will never be more free than you are honest. And if you take the step of getting rid of your stash, but nobody knows where the stash was, and the hiding place is still a hiding place because it's unknown, that's not safe for you. That's not good for you. Irregular events. There are lots of one-time events uh, that get closely associated uh, with our substance of choice. Weddings, graduation, New Year's, birthdays. So my upfront question Are you willing to forgo these activities if it is unwise for your recovery? Yes or no? At this stage in the game, we're just asking for a blanket commitment. If it is unwise for your recovery, are you willing to say, I won't do it? If not, that's where we need to be honest with somebody about where our level of commitment is. I give you some questions here about 
If there's something coming up and you know it may be a point of temptation, these are some questions that you need to talk with people in your support network. And often this is where we get a little frustrated and we go, it just, this starts to feel really planned. This starts to feel really intentional. Do I, do I really have to do this? Nobody accidentally goes through recovery. We don't accidentally wind up at our destination. We are going to be intentional. Uh, And so, yes, I get the frustration of it, uh, but it is important. Simplify your life. If there are things that you're trying to do that just create a level of stress that don't have to be done right now, while you are in the stages of actively working recovery, don't overwhelm yourself with unnecessary things. Now we come to counter-conditioning strategies. These are reframing strategies. You know, some context of temptation cannot be avoided through logistical realities and the fact that sin is a predator. Uh, Sin comes looking for us. We don't have to go looking for it. And so initially, we just need a high-risk moment plan. And that's a bunch of people on speed dial in our phone that we're going to reach out to. Uh, This is nothing more than 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee the youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. I need people that I reach out to immediately. I do not need to be cute. When I am struggling, when I am weak, I do not need to pretend that I am stronger than I am. I just need to own it and say, hey, I'm struggling. Um, Now another part of reframing uh, is constructive self-talk. It goes back to that idea that we were just saying. Nobody is more influential in your life than you are because nobody talks to you more than you do. Uh, And so just kind of a little twin column deal here. How is it that you talk to you when you're struggling? What's your verbiage of shame and blame shifting? Uh, Your language of unrealistic expectations? What's your language of this will never work? What's your language of this isn't worth it? However it is that you say that to you, write it out in your words. Have the conversation outside of your own head. Say it to another person and say, this is how I talk to me when I'm struggling. And then go through and say, what would be constructive self-talk? What's the verbiage of humility? What's the verbiage of ownership, of confession, of strong grace? How, How would I take whatever is honest and authentic in the midst of that You know, this isn't worth it. I'm discouraged and tired. Saying the same thing. One just has hope and honesty in it. Uh, Relaxation training. Uh, Temptation is stressful. Uh, Unless we learn to manage stress well, uh, chances are temptation is going to get the better of us. D. Clementiank, he says, one's ability to cope with stress, in particular uh, anger, frustration, boredom, anxiety, depression, has been identified as a critical area um, in overcoming addiction. 
so here I'm just going to walk through a couple of stress reduction techniques. They're biofeedback. Um, there's no magic in them. I do think they're helpful. Biofeedback means it's simply using the body's systems to talk to themselves to create greater relaxation. So one of them is breathing. You know, you've probably been upset and somebody tells you, just take a deep breath. And if you don't understand why that works, you just want to hit them. Um, yet, but one of the area that the body monitors to determine whether it's safe or in danger is the nasal cavity. When the nasal cavity gets hot, the body interprets that as danger and it kicks in the adrenal system. So if you think about the athlete on the field of play, they're running, they're getting short of breath, they're taking a lot of air in and out through their mouth, all of their air, uh, nothing's going over the nose, and so the nasal cavity gets hot. The body reads that to mean we're in trouble, let's kick in some adrenaline. Adrenaline makes whatever we're feeling worse or better. It just heightens it. So when we take a deep breath in through our nose, out through our mouth, what we're doing is we're bringing cool air over Hot air out through our mouth, we're cooling off the nasal cavity. That doesn't suck adrenaline out of our body. It's more like taking your foot off the gas than it is putting it on the brakes. Um, but it can be helpful when we feel like we're at that spot and we're just shaky and uh, we're stressed out. Um, progressive muscle relaxation. Again, you can kind of take your hands and do this one with me. If we take our hands and we squeeze them tight, uh, what we begin to feel uh, is as our muscles flex and it restricts blood flow, uh, the flexed muscle is releasing lactic acid, uh, that builds up in our muscle and that's what accounts for the burn. Uh, that's why the next day when you work out, uh, you feel sore, it's because there's been too much lactic acid in there. When we're stressed, uh, body produces free radicals, that's what makes us feel all achy and awful. That extra lactic acid begins to dissolve those free radicals within our muscles. Then when we release, you kind of feel that come and a, just a much more relaxed muscle feel there. Uh, blood's coming back in. It's going to pull those, uh, that lactic acid that's absorbed the free radicals. It's going to take that away, uh, process it through our body just like it should, no ill effects. Uh, and what we can begin to do, progressive, uh, muscle relaxation is what that is, progressive just means we go muscle group by muscle group. So maybe we do hands and then forearm, take a couple of deep breaths, cooling off our nasal cavity, biceps, triceps, couple more deep breaths, neck, shoulders, and we just go through our body. Uh, because oftentimes, why are we turning to our substance? To take the edge off. Just because we don't feel like we can turn the corner with that stress. If we learn some ways to do that, um, we reach out to a friend and we're not alone with it so the thoughts are not echoing in our own head, uh, that kind of relaxation makes a big difference. Uh, distraction. And here I don't mean distraction with any bad connotation. But a whole lot of addiction is the battle for attention. This is kind of the... Uh, classic cliche, don't think about a pink elephant. What are you thinking about? Pink elephant. I, if I am thinking about not drinking, what am I thinking about? Drinking. Um, I need something to give myself to. It's why De Clemente would say, paradoxically, 
urges often strengthen when the individual concentrates so strongly on resisting the present cue. Refusing to engage in behavior helps break the conditioned connection with the cue, but it is not necessarily the most efficient way to do so. Individuals who have not found alternative activities that can provide some measure of relief, pleasure, or satisfaction are at significant risk for returning to their addictive behavior. And that kind of takes us to filling the void. Um, Overcoming addiction is going to create a lot of time in your life. We're going to have to come up with some things that we enjoy, that we find satisfaction in, that begin to fill that time, or else we are creating a void that we're going to cave in under. Um, We'll come to a few more of those in just a moment, but personal strengthening. Um, You know, regulating sleep. Uh, That is so important. Uh, Adequate sleep has lots of effects. Uh, First, sleep is huge in the level of self-control. I mean, we've all seen this. When kids haven't had a nap, they lose all self-control. Adults are just bigger kids. Uh, When we haven't had sleep, and if we're saying a big part of overcoming addiction is learning self-control, why would I place myself at a sleep deficit? Um, A good sleep hygiene is a good schedule regulator. And when we let our sleep get out of whack, we are usually awake late at night when our support network is least available to us. And that becomes a problem. A balanced diet. Um, Addictive lifestyles are a lot about extremes. Uh, Intentional moderation when it comes to food uh, is, uh, is important. Another aspect of that is our blood sugar levels. If we have irregular eating habits... Uh, and we're on these blood sugar highs and lows, uh, that's just another thing that makes it difficult. We will start trying to regulate our emotions uh, through substance uh, when really we're countering uh, some of the effects of our bad eating habits. Uh, exercise. Uh, it, uh, this isn't just about being a healthy person and, hey, you should run a 5K. Um, having a strong, fit body is a very important part of having a strong will. I mean, Jesus recognized this in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the disciples were falling asleep, what did he say to them? Um, Your spirit is willing, your flesh is weak. I mean, if if we give the fellas the benefit of the doubt a little bit, and we think about what their last 24 to 48 hours had been like, They had been on a long journey. Uh, They had had to find housing uh, that wasn't their normal housing arrangements. Uh, They had to go to a market that wasn't their hometown market, get all the supplies that they need for preparing a large feast. They had to cook that feast in a kitchen that wasn't their own. They then had a large meal that involved carbs and wine. Uh, They did all of this, probably cutting into their sleep, being tired. Then they go out to a dark, quiet, still place to pray. They weren't set up to succeed. And Jesus didn't scold them. He said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Yet, we need to care for our physical body. 
and especially if one of the driving factors for our addiction has become self-loathing and shame, then when we begin to say, no, I'm going to care for myself. I'm going to make sure I get sleep. I'm going to eat a healthy diet. I'm going to begin to become more active because I am going to be a good steward of my body and my life because I care. That counters a lot of the messaging of addiction. Uh, Self-control exercises. It, uh, low impulse control uh, is almost always correlated with addiction. Uh, and so you can look at different areas of life that may be um, lacking moderation. Maybe in the area of food or recreation or social activities. Uh, at this stage, I would say just pick one. Pick one where you begin to say, I am going to begin to live with greater moderation. I'm not eliminating it. Uh, with my substance of choice, I may have said, look, that is something that I need to completely abstain. But I can't abstain from everything that lacks moderation. So let me pick some of these areas where I am going to learn moderation. And it's at this point where the process of recovery becomes about more, not less, than your, than the, your substance of choice. And you begin to say, ah, I am embracing a lifestyle. I'm not just escaping an addiction. Uh, emotional endurance. At this stage in your recovery, you may be getting to the point where you say, there's a, there's a few emotions that have really, really been kicking my tail. Maybe it's anger, depression, anxiety. And addiction was really just a way of not dealing with those things. And that's why in the context of, of a ministry like G4, uh, that we have groups built around these same kind of materials that if you said, you know, at this stage in my recovery, it might do me good to begin to intentionally grow in one of these other areas that has been fueling my addiction in the same way that I've done this, uh, that there is the opportunity to do that using the same kind of nine-step framework just with material that is more detailed to that area of life struggle. Uh, then there's uh, healthy, fun, uh, pursuant strategies. Uh, the goal of sobriety is not sobriety. Uh, God made you to enjoy a life. Uh, and we've got to ask, what is that? Uh, now the addiction jar, you may decide, look, cash is not a trigger, it's a trigger for me and I, I don't need to do that. Um, but if you're saying there's some things that I would enjoy and, and I just don't have the funds to do that, maybe what you do is you set up an account with a direct asset there, you give uh, to somebody in your support network, and whatever math that you did about what your addiction was costing you and you realized, hey, I've already been funding that uh, in this destructive pattern, I'm going to use a portion of that to begin to fund some of these pursuant strategies. Maybe you do that. Um, maybe there's just some old interest and they're not even, they don't even cost money. And you just say, you know, I haven't been doing this. I used to love to play music. I would, I would just get out my guitar and I would play. Or I used to enjoy running. 
I used to enjoy reading and, and talking about um, meaningful things with friends and trying to understand life. What are some of those interests that I had? Maybe there's new interests. You know, maybe the addiction has been enough a part of your life that the interests that you had were just from a different season of life. And you've got to, because you're in a different season of life and what you would have been doing at this season of your life is different anyway, you've got to explore those things. Um, but irregardless, um, building the discipline of savoring every moment. Uh, very often uh, in, the, uh, in the midst of addiction, we get caught in the mindset that if we're not there, if it's not better, it's not good. And beginning to enjoy what is good while we work on what could be better is a huge part of what we're after. And then there's some uh, worship or all strategies. Uh, and we don't engage spiritual disciplines just for their therapeutic benefit. Um, but if we engage them well, there should be some therapeutic benefit to them. And so Bible study. Uh, in, in a lot of addiction circles, they'll talk about uh, stinking thinking. Uh, just when I get in that mode of thought that is just indicative of where I was in the midst of my addiction, uh, having a point where we immerse our mind in truth on a daily basis would be really good for that. Prayer and worship. So much of addiction is being overwhelmed by things that I feel like I need to escape from. Worship is when we get overwhelmed by something that we can give ourselves to. Um, silence, stillness, and meditation. Um, that ability to rein in our thoughts. You know, there may have been a time when we withdrew from people. Uh, and, and that was part of the addictive process. But times when, when we could reflect on life and journaling. Uh, we go back to the... A big part of what Kent Dunnington said was going on with addiction is just that life doesn't seem to have a purpose. It doesn't have a meaning. And so addiction gives it some sense of rhythm and something that, that I can pursue. Uh, that time of quiet, that time of journaling, is where I can begin to engage with some of those things. So in concluding this section, this section has been a big buffet. Uh, what I would encourage you to do is pick three strategies. Whichever ones that you say, these hold the most promise for me, uh, and write them down. Go back to that My Commitment to Change uh, sheet that you started uh, in, at the end of step two. Begin to revise and update that. That's something that's probably good for you to revise at least about every three months, where you sit down with a pastor, a counselor, somebody from your group, and just saying how well does my plan fit where I'm at right now?